Well, good morning, everyone. It is great to see you all here today. Today, we get to talk about Advent and Christmas. When I first started writing this talk and look back over the last few weeks and even this year, I realized that John 1 brings together so well all that we have been discussing of the Exodus story and Hebrews over the year. If you're a parent, I'm sure you are all too aware of the number of days left leading up till Christmas. The countdown has been on not for the last 20 days, but approximately began 363 days ago when your children realised it was time to begin being prepared for next year's Christmas. Or if their Christmas ambitions were more modest, perhaps it was only six months ago they began to inform you of Christmas's most imminent arrival. But maybe Advent and Christmas seems to have snuck up on you out of nowhere, particularly with this very mild weather. Suddenly, there is only five sleeps to go when you could have sworn there was lots of time left to get ready only yesterday. I love Christmas. It is a time for presents. It's a time for family. Mulled wine and mince pies and so much more. And yet it contains reminders of things I would perhaps rather forget. Of dreams lost, of loved ones no longer with us. It's a reminder perhaps of pain felt and of things that are hard and things that are broken. Perhaps Christmas is a reminder for you, for me, that all is not well. And yet for us today, that is not the whole story. My hope and prayer this morning is that once again, as we talk about the God who came to be with us, who became flesh and dwelt among us, that Jesus would reveal his light to you, that you will know his presence and his peace and be assured of the knowledge to hold fast for the darkness has not and will never overcome the light. So let's read John 1, 1 to 18 together. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. 
He cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the father has made him known. So the prologue in John acts as a bit of a roadmap for all that will unfold along the way within the rest of his gospel, giving hints and ideas of the theme that he will develop, light, life, humanity, a world that rejects God and those who receive him. And these opening verses supply us with profound statements about Jesus in simple language. God became flesh and blood. Creator became creation. And so it begins at Christmas time with a baby, the word coming to dwell with us. This morning we're going to look at the word as creator, what that says for the relationship of God and the word. We're going to look at what it means that the word is the light in the darkness and that he makes God known to us. John uses the term logos for the word. Heraclides, a Greek philosopher, first used the term around 600 years before Jesus. John talks in a language that his audience will understand so they will get what he is saying. In the word, John also takes up a Hebrew word, debar, which was used to relate the unseeable God to the concrete world. For John, the word is the ultimate expression of this term, debar. The word, the one who receives the un reveals the unseeable God to a world in turmoil. However, it's not until verse 17 that the word is shown to be Jesus. John begins with, In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. All four gospel writers saw that the ministry of John the Baptist is the historical starting point for the ministry of Jesus. Mark launches straight in, introducing John in light of a prophecy in Isaiah 40 as the one who prepares the way. Matthew begins his story with the genealogy of Jesus going back to Abraham. Luke starts even further back, linking Jesus to Adam. But for John, he sees even that is not enough to begin to say who Jesus is. So John begins with the words, in the beginning. Jews in the first century refer to the books of the Old Testament by their opening words. So in the beginning was the Jewish name for Genesis. When the listeners of John's gospel first heard that, they would have been in no doubt that John was reminding them of the beginning of Genesis, that moment before humanity and the world was formed. Today, some of us may feel very familiar with the opening words of John. However, for the first century reader, what came next would be entirely unexpected. John says that the word was there in the beginning. They would have been expecting in the beginning God, not, in the, not the word. John takes a paradigm that would have been intimately familiar with and he radically redefines it. It is not just God who was there in the beginning, but the word. The word has been put in the place of God, described the creative act of the whole universe. The word is God's instrument in creation as a source and redeemer of life. 
John makes clear what he's already suggested at the beginning of verse 1 by stating emphatically that the word was with God and the word was God. They cannot be separated. God and Christ are one and yet in active relationship with each other. The repetition in verse 2 that he was with God in the beginning shows just how important this idea is for John. We are invited in these verses to glimpse the heart of the Trinity. The oneness and unity between the Word, God and the Holy Spirit. And yet the relationship that exists between the three of them. God is ultimately a relational God. This relational being is the reason for Jesus becoming flesh and blood. So that we could be reconciled to God and be brought back into relationship with him as his children. In verse 4, John goes to say that in him was life, and that life was the light of men. Light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Through the creative act of the word, humanity was given the breath of life in the Garden of Eden. And yet not only at creation was humanity given life, but the word comes to earth as a little baby in order that the world may receive eternal life. So we see God as the word, as creator, sustainer, and savior. Throughout the Old Testament, God and light are woven together. In the temple, there were two lampstands at either side of the tabernacle. The lampstand symbolized the presence of God. In Genesis 1, God said, let there be light. Jesus, as the light, once again begins the process of bringing into being new creation. Jesus' creation into the world kickstarts the beginning of a new creation, with his light entering the darkness that will accumulate not in death, but in life. There have been prophecies of a time when light would come. Isaiah 9.2 says, The people who have walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness... On them has light shone. And Isaiah 42.6 says, I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations. John is pointing back to these prophecies to show that the promises they had been given hundreds of years earlier were finally coming true. And verse 5, John introduces the other half of the story, darkness. Our human story is not one of just light and life. There is also death. There is also darkness. Looking around our world at the moment, it doesn't seem difficult to see that there is great darkness in the world. The world seems to cry out that all is not well. The news is saturated with bombings and shootings, war, death, slavery, and refugees with nowhere to go. There seems to be a lot that is not right with the world, a lot that is dark and broken. Before the birth of Jesus over 2,000 years ago, the situation was bleak. The region had been under Roman control since 100 years before the birth of Jesus. The Jews had failed in their attempts to re-establish themselves, trying to recreate the temple to the former glory it had before the exile. And they were beginning to give up hope. There was a growing air of expectancy that the only hope they had left was the promised coming of the Messiah, the Saviour. God had not spoken in 400 years. And then light bursts in. It's the midst of this unstable, dark world. Into a land of deep darkness came light. 
the light of all mankind, the one who had been promised for hundreds of years. When it seemed like God was not speaking, when it seemed like there was no hope, God showed up and he revealed himself. Perhaps for us today, when it seems like God is not there, when it feels like your prayers are hitting a blank wall, when your situation seems like there is no hope, no light, God is there. He will never leave you. He is at work in ways unexpected and perhaps unseen, but he is there. And John promises that darkness has not overcome the light. When a light switch is flipped, the room changes from a room filled with darkness to a room filled with light. The business of light is to banish darkness. Jesus, the light of the world, steps down into the darkness of human experience. John is claiming in the prologue that the darkness will not win. I have here a um, magazine article from Relevant Magazine, uh, just from earlier this month. And in it, the writer says this. That first Christmas was an act of war on death and darkness, planned from the foundation of the world to be enacted by the only one who could save it, God himself. Jesus came to your darkness, your lostness, when you have no purpose or wisdom and do not know where to go. He can be your guide. John is saying there is hope For darkness is not the end of the story. We have a God who specialises in transforming darkness. A God who is in the business of transformation of our lives and this world. Whatever the situation in our hearts, our personal lives, if you feel like the situation is too big for God to do anything, that is not the case. The darkness has not overcome the light. There is no darkness so dark, it cannot be overcome by the light of the baby in the manger, by the word made flesh. Hold on to the hope that shines in the darkness. God is at work and he is near. So far we've seen and heard of God as the words, a light in the darkness for a people in need of hope. And in these next few verses, we are shown God made known, the word who comes to dwell with us. Verse 9 and 10 show the rejection of the light. The world did not recognize him. The world for John shows the paradox of the word's creation as the very place of his rejection. There is an irony, and even more than that, a tragedy shown by John that the world rejects the one through whom it was made. When it seems like that might be the end, John says, but there are those who did receive him. But to those who did receive him, When we choose to follow Jesus, to welcome the light into our lives, we become God's children. We are adopted into the family of God as his children. By saying we are born of God, John is trying to show that this life, this inclusion to be a children of God, does not come from achievement or human desire. It is a sheer gift from God. It is utter grace. Jason, a few weeks ago, talks about the idea that there is only one way up the mountain, this journey of faith we are all on, and we go as sons, those who are given the right to full inheritance from the Father. Toby last week said there is only one way up the mountain, and we go together as family. 
This idea continues in John 1. When we become children of God, we're invited to a family that is there to love each other, to challenge each other. Church is simply the family of God meeting together, encouraging and growing each other to become more and more like our Father. Being born of God means that God takes us and transforms us, that the more and more we reflect the family likeness, to quote the wonderful Kirsty Parrott. There is a powerful transformation that happens in our lives when we embrace the light of the world. We begin to reflect the light of the one who made us. We start like John to point hearers to Jesus. Can I encourage you to get involved in church? It's a wonderful way for us to come together as a family of God to figure out how to be as children and live that out in our lives. One of the great ways to do that is through coming to a home group. There are wonderful opportunities to worship God, study his word, listen to his voice, pray with each other and be real with one another. In the process of seeking after him in church, in our home groups, with each other, we will become more like him. And then verse 14, we get these words. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Eight simple words. And yet, and yet those little words contain the most incredibly rich idea. God came down. He became one of us. This is the heart of the Christmas story. A God who came to be among us. One of us because he loves us so much and wants to make us his children. God came into the middle of a broken world. He stepped down into darkness into a world filled with hurt, pain and sin. God did not stand back at at a distance. He got involved. He became a fragile baby in order to bring us new life, to bring us hope. The word for dwelt, skenu, that John uses literally translates as has pitched his tent among us. In the Old Testament, God's glory was first said to dwell in the tabernacle. It was the movable tent of God that housed the presence of God during the time in the wilderness, in the Exodus. 300 years later, it was superseded by the temple of Jerusalem as a place of God's presence. God, from the beginning, has been interested in revealing himself to us so we may have the opportunity to become his children. Israel, in time of turmoil, lived by faith in the promise in Zechariah 2.10, that said, I will come and I will dwell in the midst of you, says the Lord. What we find here is that the promise is fulfilled. In God coming down, Jesus brings the presence and glory of God to earth in an unprecedented form. It was not hidden behind a veil in a tent or temple, but in the form of the baby, so he could dwell with us, in the midst of us. He became flesh that the glory of God may be revealed to all flesh. He is interested in revealing God to mankind, not just Israel wandering the wilderness to a people who could see him in the temple. He is interested in all of humanity. But what we see is that Jesus coming to dwell with us is not the end of the story. Through his death and resurrection, we are told of a day when he will come to fix all that is broken to destroy sin, sickness and sorrow once and for all. 
And because of that, he will be able to shine the perfect light of his glory on us forever. God has always been interested in revealing himself. And in Revelation 21, 3 to 6, the only other place the word dwell is used in the New Testament, we are told of a day when God will come down once and for all and be with his people and dwell with them for all eternity. We will see God face to face. May that fill you with hope in the midst of the darkness and in the wait. There is a day coming when we will see the face of God. It will not be hidden any longer. There will be a day of no more tears, no more pain, and no more mourning, sin, or suffering. God with us. In the final verses of John 1, we go back to the law. Verse 16 and 17 say that the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The law was a revelation of God's will for his people. It was a good gift, but it was not the life of God himself. It was a shadow of the good things to come, not the substance of it. John is not trying to show the grace of Christ at odds with the revelation of Moses. The law enabled God to reveal himself to the people under the old covenant. It contains the grace of God and is an earlier display of it. However, it is now superseded by the word through whom new life is possible and who has made God known to the world. Jesus is the one who could come and bring grace and truth, not the law. The one through whom salvation, redemption and adoption into the family of God occurs. Through Jesus, the earlier revelation of the covenant faithfulness of God was brought to its fulfilment and conclusion. The promise of a saviour foretold became a reality. Finally, verse 18 says that no one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. This verse sums up what we've been saying God and Jesus cannot be separated. God is a God of relationship in his being, and he extends this to us by making himself known through the word becoming flesh. No one has ever seen God but through the Son. Not Moses, the patriarchs, or the prophets. We see God through Jesus, a reflection of the Father. He knows the Father's heart and mind. And out of that intimate relationship, he is the ultimate revelation of him. He can be no closer to God, for he is God. We have a God who is near and who is made known through Jesus. The prologue to John is not about a message that offers hope, but about the message that is the only hope. It's not about an idea, but a person. It shows us that God is intent on communicating with us, not about mere concepts. He is intent on communicating about himself, making himself known to humanity. So if you want to know more about God, look at the baby in the manger, God who became flesh and made himself known. We have seen how God fulfilled Old Testament promises. God is faithful. What he has promised will come true. This Christmas, remember that the darkness has not overcome the light. Hold fast that hope in the midst of this season. Let us be a community of hope this Christmas.
the children of hope who make God known to the people around us, who share the hope and promise that Jesus' coming to earth brings. Jesus, God himself, has come to dwell among us, and that is what we remember this Christmas time. In him and through his spirit, we have a foretaste for what is to come. May you know the peace and presence of the light of the world this Christmas. In the time in which we live between the coming of Jesus as a baby and the day he will return to restore and redeem all things. This morning you're invited to come forward to receive prayer ministry. We have an opportunity to respond to God's invitation that came in the form of Jesus at Christmas time. Maybe for the first time you're hearing there is truth in the word that God, Jesus, came down to earth. If you want to come and give your life to him today, to become a child of God, that invitation is open to you this morning. Come forward. We would love to have someone pray with you and for you. Perhaps you need to know God is with you. His presence is on earth today. God made himself known that first Christmas, and he wants to reveal himself to you today. If you want to feel his presence for the first time or the hundredth time, please come forward. Finally, Jesus is the light and life of mankind. Maybe it's been a bad day, or week, or a dark year. Do you need to know the hope and light of Jesus in your life this morning, in whatever situation you are in? We believe God's light can come and break into the darkness of your situation. If that's you, please come forward. We would love to minister to you this morning. And please, come forward if you want to receive more of God's presence his peace, his hope and his assurance to know that you are his child. I hope you have a truly wonderful Christmas. Please stand and I'll pray. Father God, I thank you so much that you are a God who has come to dwell with us. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come and fill this place with your presence now. May you reveal your peace. May you reveal light into situations where there is darkness. May you give us an assurance that we are your children. Holy Spirit, we ask that you will come and be with us now. Come and minister in this place, we pray.